Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language and is intended for adults. Listener discretion is advised. finally kicked the flu you sound you sound like that woman who goes to a bingo hall yeah yeah except there's no bingo hall just disease you sound like that one grandma who smokes a carton of cigarettes every week and drinks old granddad every morning lives to be 140 oh one can dream (laughs) (laughs) yeah i kicked mine i went online and I, i googled how to you know how to beat the flu and it said that I need to swallow Chinese herbs. So I went on um, Craigslist and found this guy. He was like 30. Chinese American. His name's Herbert. And I was like, oh, found him. Done. That was easy. Yeah, man. Didn't even take any time at all. I just opened a new bam, window. Bam, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. So like three hours later, I have him pinned up against a dumpster behind a Chuck E. Cheese. Oh. And um, I, gave him the, I gave him the time of his life. And um, I, still, I still felt the same. I didn't feel worse. I didn't feel better. Did your throat feel better? It was coated for a moment, but I eventually got over it. And I got, I got, I, you know, I, I made a new pal, Herbert. If you're listening, we might have to try it again. I don't know if it took. I might have done something wrong. Am I ever going to be introduced to this Herbert? No, he won't fucking accept my friend request. <sighs> Lame. Yeah. I need something. I <laughs> know, right? We need to find another Herbert. Yep. Found me a Chinese herb, and I think and that's probably all horse shit. I should have just gone to the doctor. Yeah, you had a little cough for a couple days. Fuck is this? I don't know. You guys hear this? Yeah, I got yelled at work today by one of my residents because I startled him awake with my voice because it cracked. And he told me, I'm always coming in there yelling. I wasn't yelling. I really was just trying to wake you up. I wasn't trying to scare you. Well, you did. Get the fuck out. And here I am. You kind of sound like Batman. Hi, I'm Batman. Where's the Joker? Deep justice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. If you can't tell, this is Erica welcoming you to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. I have been sick as a fucking dog for like 10 days, and this is the best my voice has sounded. Right. It has sounded like horseshit. This is the most feminine I have sounded. I've sounded like a a man most of the other time. That's when I had a voice. It comes and goes. Like I said, I got yelled at for it. Evidently, I'm too loud when my voice cracks. Yeah. (laughs) But I am here. To welcome you guys to this newest episode, I'm here with my husband and co-host Billy. Ancient Chinese secret my ass. Yeah. Was it in your ass? No. Maybe you should try that next no, time. No, it didn't say suppository. It said I need you to swallow Chinese oh, oral. Herbs. I oral. Had to swallow it. P.O. That means oral. Yeah. When you're writing a script, P.P.O. P.U. means stinky. Per oral. Not P.R. Per rectum. Okay. I now that. you know. Yeah. All right, guys. 
So thank you for joining us at this third episode of Season 2. Hopefully you went and listened to the last two episodes covering the murders at 10 Rillington Place in London. Quite a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of shit to cover in those. Tonight we're going to do something a little bit lighter. There's still death, don't worry. But it's a fun kind of death. Yay! Kind of. So uh, we're going to cover some not-so-normal floods. For this first story, because there's going to be two, we're going to kind of stay in the scope of London. Billy's still working his way there on foot. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I can't catch a ride. You, you never found the fourth chair, did you? No. I got sick. He's letting us all down. Sorry, guys. I've been charging through. You can pull your fucking weight. Oh, my God. You want to fucking medal? <laughs> all right. So, <clears throat> let's start out within the early 1800s. Way, way back. There was a brewery in St. Giles, London called the Horseshoe Brewery. You got my attention. Yep. We're talking beer. B-double-E-double-R-U-N, B-run. So, Horseshoe Brewery stood at the corner of Great Russell Street and Tottenham Court Road. The St. Giles Rookery was a densely populated slum area of London. It was full of cheap tenements and inhabited by prostitutes, criminals, and the poor and destitute. So what better place to have a brewery? I think that I think they showed up after the brewery. You're gonna, Maybe. You're going to have that. It's What came first, the chicken or the egg? The slum or the beer? The egg came first. Okay. Billy has decided that for us. No. I as did, a group. I did the research and it has proven that the, the egg came first. How do they prove that? Because it has to do with evolution. See, for instance... Human evolution dictates that our appendix is getting smaller and smaller and smaller by each, by each generation. At some point, a woman who has an appendix is going to give birth to a child without an, an appendix. That's just the next step of evolution. Mm-hmm. What laid the egg that had the chicken in it was not necessarily a chicken. It was the last step of evolution before it turned into a chicken. It was a prehistoric chicken that laid the very first egg that had, in fact, a chicken in it. So the egg came first. Ah, so the egg was born of... A varied species. Yeah. Look at it like this. Let's say a lion laid an egg and a giraffe came out. Now, is that a giraffe egg or is that a lion's egg? That's fucking weird. So, yeah. But my point is... what I want to see what that looks like. Somebody draw that. Yeah. A giraffe lion. I'll make it the wallpaper of my phone. A giraffe. Wow. Nice, oh, right? A liaf. A liaf. Oh, that's good. That's a good one, too. Okay, somebody draw a liaf. All right, enough of Billy's science corner. <laughs> All yeah, right. please, somebody draw these abominations. <laughs> yes. Come on, Heather. You can do it. <laughs> Emily can, too. She's a great artist. Yeah. Come on, Emily. Bring it on. I want to see a laugh. <laughs> laugh. All right. So, the company who owned the brewery, Mew and Company. M-E-U-X? Mew? Mew. That's what you say when, That's what you say when you're drunk. Mew. You want some Taco Bell? Mew. Mew. They had a fermentation tank installed on the site in 1810. It was 22 feet tall, which is about 7 meters, made of wood, and it was held together with these massive iron rings. It was like a huge barrel, basically, but really fucking huge. So it could hold over 3,500 barrels worth of liquid. I don't even know how many 
gallons or cubic meters or whatever in the shit that is, but that's a lot. 3,500 barrels worth. Um, I want to say that a barrel is 55 gallons. Yeah. So that's 55 times 3,500 55 in terms of whiskey. A barrel of whiskey is about 55 gallons. Well, we're talking... Well, I mean, back then, I think it was the the same thing. The liquid, they filled these barrels worth, actually tank worth, with was beer. Specifically a brown porter ale. Yum. I don't know. I'm not a beer gal. I'm not a porter guy. I, I had to dose myself with ibuprofen and throat spray and two rum and cokes to do this, so no beer involved. Um, brown porter ale. Porter ale, um, when it first like came out, was traditionally sold dirt, 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 dirt cheap. So this is a lot of fucking cheap beer. Yeah. Nowadays... You have porters that are like infused with coffee and espresso and aged in bourbon barrels and taste like peanut butter sandwiches and all. So they're specialty. Weird. Yeah, they're craft. But porter, they're named after porters, and porters never have a lot of money. Porters have what they get from tips that night, and they buy beer that's cheap. So it makes sense that it's in the slum with all these destitute sure. people. Sure. Okay. But so- it's, it's more expensive than a lager because a lager is bottom fermented, ale is top fermented. So it's top fermented ale is. Were loggers around cons- back in the early 1800s? Have to have been. Fuck, I think Germany, Germany came up with it, I believe, or, or Austria, the Czech Republic. I know for sure. Hmm. That's the, the 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 recipe for Budweiser is actually a Czechoslovakian recipe. So it's not very American, is it? Well, no, but I mean Budweiser got bought by a British company. Yeah. So fucking whatever. Yeah. So all those little flags printed on your Budweiser cans? Nah. It's okay though. <laughs> Not so American. So, on the afternoon of October 17th in 1814, the people of St. Giles were going around doing their robbing or begging or whatever it was they did back then in a slum. It's called partying. Yeah, having a good time. Unbeknownst to them, one single iron ring on the fermentation tank snapped. But, because of all these other rings that were around it, It held together for the time being. It wasn't until about an hour later that the whole tank just popped under the pressure. The hot ale came rushing out with such force that it caused the brewery's back wall to collapse. It also caused an immediate domino effect as the rupture caused vat after vat after vat in the brewery to also rupture, adding even more beer into the barrage of fluid. This is a real tragedy. So far, this is the <laughs> this worst is tragedy a, I've ever This is heard. a sad night on Martinis in the Macabre. We're losing so much beer. Oh, man. We should take a moment. Oh. All right. All right. So over 320,000 gallons of beer rushed out onto the streets in a 15-foot, which is about four and a half meter, wave. Beer and debris smashed into houses Collapsing two of them and flooding their basements. You know that one man who stood in front of the wave? He just stood there with his arms wide open. He was just like, I prayed for this. (laughs) It's happening. And then it turned into that final scene from Deep Impact. (laughs) (laughs) The ocean receded and caused this big ass wave. (laughs) Hug me, dad. (laughs) I think he stood there with his mouth open too. Oh. Uh. I dreamt this. This is how I was going to die. I knew it. Thank you, God. 
So, so this wave collapsed these two houses. In one house was a mother and daughter who were having a cup of tea with the daughter's friend. They were very young girls. And the wave hit, and all three of them were just fucking killed immediately. Either by drowning or the debris smashing into the house, but they're fucking dead. Sad. Very sad. But there's so much beer being lost. Yeah. I bet it was probably the debris that really did it. Yeah. Well, in the other house, this is even worse. (laughs) An Irish wake was being held in the basement for a two-year-old boy that had died the day before. Hopefully it was not beer-related. All four of the mourners in the basement were killed. He was... He He was what brought them to that basement to be drowned by the beer. He was playing with one of the bolts of that metal ring on the vat. And he got chased out by a security guard and just ran out. Get out of here, you rascal. He tripped and broke his neck. (laughs) Poor kid. Poor people. You're just sitting there mourning like, oh, shit, man, our kid's dead. Oh, what's that, beer? (laughs) Final last words. (laughs) Hey, beer. (laughs) That's everybody's last words. Is that fucking beer? (laughs) I smell beer. (laughs) Who's baking bread? I smell yeast like crazy. (laughs) Well, a pub called the Tavistock Arms was damaged by the wave as well. Ironic. Sage is sad, too. Yeah. Causing a wall to collapse. A teenage barmaid named Eleanor was trapped in the rubble that flooded in, and she died as well. So a total of eight people either drowned or died from the injuries caused by the flood of beer and debris. But three brewery workers were actually saved from the waist-high flood, And another was pulled out from the rubble alive. So thank God the brewery workers were saved. Because then they could just make more beer. Yeah. It was just silver lining. Yeah. (laughs) Fucked up. You know, it's like your place went down to kill all these people. But you're sitting there like, "Eh, I wonder if I get workman's comp. Yeah. In 1810. (laughs) Now. It would be crazy if after this whole disaster, they're like, guys, we feel really bad. Just come on by. We'll give you a case of beer for free. And everybody's like, fuck you, man. (laughs) Now. You've got all this beer floating around. Whatever are you going to do with it? Drink it, of course. Hundreds of people started scooping up the ale in whatever containers they could find. Just fuck the people that died. There's free beer. And I imagine them saying it like a redneck, even though it's in London. Free beer! (laughs) You know they would, too, because you get that accent whenever you see beer. (laughs) Beer! And the person you're next to, her name could be like Chloe Samantha Ruby Rubenstein or something. And you're, you're like, hey, Jenny, there's beer. Like she automatically <laughs> turns into Jenny. You know, this is really the same as like, you know, like uh, the Old West type of movies and the old gangster movies where the cops are chasing you and you just take a bag of money and throw it so they get people running out in the street. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Yeah, they're all running out just... Trying to get this fucking free beer. Except money doesn't drown you. (laughs) And if they couldn't collect it, they just bent down and drank it. And this was beer, if you think about it, beer that had run down a dirt road in 1814. It was probably coated with horse shit and people shit that they dumped out from their pots. I mean, just rancid, disgusting, delicious London slum street beer. Oh, oh, oh. Herbie got a sip of clap. Herbie uh, got a sip of clap. Simplex uh, one. Yeah. But it's free beer, right? Free beer! Jenny! 
There were even some reports of an alleged ninth victim who died of alcohol poisoning a few days later. I'm sorry, but that doesn't count. They did that to themselves. That's just, you fucking drank too much. You didn't drown in it. I had to drink myself out of the flood. No, you just fucking got wasted a little too hard. See, now you know how people really are if you're given an unlimited supply of something. They'll fucking, <laughs> they'll do it all. You know, it's like this. some people need to be rationed out beer. Yeah. And some people were fucked up enough to turn this into an opportunity to make some extra cash. So they would put their dead relatives who had died in the flood on display as an exhibition and charge money. Hey, give me some money. You can come look at my dead grandma. She died in the flood. Isn't this amazing? And people were like, hell yeah, I'm going to pay to see that. Is she still floating? Yeah. Yeah, here's my money. Maybe. Yeah, here. Yeah. Jenny, get the straw out of your mouth and get off the ground. Come here. This was for people to, you know, look at their dead sister or brother or grandma. Just the absolute worst of people. But at one of the houses where this was done, the weight of the attendees caused the floor to collapse and they all came crashing down into the cellar that was still filled waist deep with beer. So they got a little bit of instant karma. It's nice. Yeah. The beer subsided, drank by locals or absorbed back into the shit-covered earth in 1814. But the smell lingered for months. And Billy knows I cannot stand the smell of beer. I would have killed myself. I would have been on the streets. <laughs> you would have been lapping up the shitty beer. Yeah. From the dirt fucking horse shit covered roads. You're really, you really don't like London roads, do you? It's nasty. They didn't even like have sanitation back then. It's just rivers of poo along the road. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so I cannot stand the smell and I just would have died because I, I couldn't have handled that. The brewery ended up being sued. But the courts deemed it an act of God, despite it being a man-made structure that obviously failed. Some kid fucked with. <laughs> the flood did cost the brewery, <clears throat> though, 23,000 pounds or about 1.25 million pounds today. But they were able to reclaim excise duty that had been paid on the beer. So that saved them from bankruptcy. They also got compensation for the lost barrels of beer. 7,250 pounds or 400,000 pounds today. So they actually made money off of this shit. <laughs> now, the brewery ended up being demolished in 1922, but that was over 100 years later that this brewery lived on despite their epic fail. And wooden fermentation casks were gradually phased out and replaced with lined concrete vats. So... At this moment, I ask for another moment of silence for all the beer Billy and his kind of lost. Never had a fucking chance. I got something in my eye, excuse me. <laughs> now we gotta go to the sad one for me. Yeah. Oh. This time we're gonna go a little bit into the future. January 15th of 1919. And we're coming back to the U.S., the North End neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts. Purity Distilling Company was a processing facility for molasses. Which we all know is a key component in the production of rum. Yes, molasses can be fermented to produce ethanol and rum. 
ethanol being the active ingredient in alcoholic beverages and a main component in munitions manufacturing, which I was not aware of. Go fig. Rum being, well, fucking delicious. I'm drinking it right now. Look at you. Look, look at her. Look I'm, at her go. I'm doing it. There she goes. Ah, yep. Thank you, molasses. So this plant would store the molasses in a huge tank before actually pumping it into the actual processing facility. And the tank we're talking about today was 50 feet or about 15 meters tall, 90 feet or 27 meters in diameter, like all the way across, and could hold over 2.3 million gallons or 8,700 cubic meters of molasses. A lot of fucking molasses. A fucking shit ton. It was constructed with steel plates and they were held together with rivets and it was set into a concrete base. So you think this thing's fucking sturdy. It's steel. It's in this concrete base. If it was, we wouldn't be doing an episode on it. And that was the tank. Bye, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It held a lot of molasses and it makes rum. Be sure to check us out on Facebook. (laughs) The distillery was surrounded by the Boston Harbor to the east and mostly commercial businesses and government offices for the city to the west. There was a firehouse, a police station, the paving department, the Boston Gas Light Company, and of course the offices and warehouse of the Purity Distilling Company. And Lionel's house. (laughs) Directly outside of this section was one of the most densely populated residential areas in Boston, and it was lived in mostly by poor Italian immigrants. Now, on this day, January 15th, the tank was holding molasses at its max capacity. So, we're talking over 2 million gallons, waiting to be transferred to the facility. It was a normal midday week, with people coming and going along the streets. They were working, running errands, whatever they did in 1919 in Boston. And uh, things took a little turn about 1230 in the afternoon, right around lunchtime. Witnesses reported that a long rumble was heard, similar to the sound that the elevated train that ran nearby usually makes. So many people initially mistook the sound as just that, the sound of the nearby train. But then there was a, quote, thunderclap, like bang, that sounded like a machine gun. The ground began to shake, followed by a deep growling and crashing sound. The tank holding the molasses was no longer holding the molasses. (laughs) The rivets had shot out of the tank walls and released a huge wave of molasses over 25 feet or 8 meters high and some sources cite up to 40 feet high, moving at 35 miles per hour at about 56 kilometers per hour. See, so when your boss says you're moving like molasses, be like, thanks. (laughs) The force damaged buildings, which added debris into the sticky wave. And a report from the Boston Globe said people, quote, were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet, end quote. Vehicles were picked up and a truck was even hurled into Boston Harbor. A one-ton plate of steel sliced through a support girder of the adjacent Boston Elevated Railway's Atlantic Avenue structure and a railway car was tipped off of its tracks momentarily. Some buildings were swept off of their foundations and others were just crushed. It sounds like if Michael Bay got really drunk one night and decided to make a fucking movie. <laughs> I'm going to make a movie about a molasses tank. But this shit 
is real life. <laughs> Street blocks were flooded with two to three feet of thick, sticky molasses. So that's about a meter. You know, we're talking like hip waist deep. A report in the Boston Post stated, quote, molasses waist deep covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled to form, whether it was animal or human being, was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. That was a good analogy. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. End quote. Some people were crushed and pulled down into the molasses like it was quicksand. It clogged their noses and mouths and made it difficult to breathe. So many of those that were pulled under were drowned or suffocated in the molasses. The lucky ones came out injured from being hit by debris or smashed into structures while being carried by the wave. So people, horses, dogs, cats, you name it, they were no match for a 25 to 40 foot onslaught of just sticky brown goo. The USS Nantucket, which was a training ship belonging to the Massachusetts Nautical School, which is now known as the Massachusetts Maritime Academy, was docked at the nearby Playground Pier. The 116 cadets directed by Lieutenant Commander H.J. Copeland were the first to the scene. They had to run several blocks from the pier to actually get to the accident, and some jumped straight into the molasses that was by then only about knee-deep to pull people out, while the others kept the onlookers at bay and kept them from getting in the way of the rescues. They were soon joined by the Boston Police, Army and Navy personnel, and the Red Cross. The Red Cross nurses split up like the cadets had done, and some started diving in to rescue while others tended to the injured. They worked through the night, caring for the survivors and feeding the rescuers. You know, I can't help but think some guy who was in London during that disaster left and went to Boston <laughs> <laughs> and saw this was like, are you fucking serious? Uh, he'd have to be pretty fucking old. I mean, these were about 100 years apart. It could happen. It could, but chances are slim. I, but I kind of believe it. Maybe his dad was one of the guys that died in the first one. Yeah. And he was like, my dad. <laughs> I think It's you're happening right. again. I think that's exactly how it went down, Erica. Yep, just like that. Uh, a makeshift hospital was set up by doctors and surgeons in a nearby building due to the overwhelming number of injured people, which ended up being around 150. Searchers looked for victims for four days before calling off the search. It was reported that many of the dead were difficult to recognize because they were covered in so much molasses glaze. That'd be quite a scene to just look around and see all these glazed bodies just like frozen in their death throes it's a sticky situation yeah it is <laughs> nice yeah it's a bad deal <laughs> Ooh, snap <laughs> so 21 people died along with numerous horses stray animals and pets and it's surprising that only 21 died and even more surprising that more city employees weren't killed due to their proximity to the tank. Most of the victims were laborers at the North End Paving Yard, which was directly adjacent to the tank and in the wave's direct path. And I'm surprised there weren't more, like, women and children killed just because 
you know, the fight to get out of that goo would have been so difficult. Yeah. But it ended up being most of the, the nearby workers, unfortunately. The cleanup involved using salt water sprayed from a fireboat to try to wash the molasses away. And then they poured sand on it to try and absorb what was left over. But you're trying to absorb this fucking brown glue-like substance. That had to be difficult. Yeah. And the harbor was said to have stayed brown until summer. So it took about six months before the molasses finally subsided in the harbor. Over 300 people contributed to the cleanup of the immediate area, which took quote-unquote weeks to complete. I couldn't find an exact time frame. But so many people had been at the site. There were rescuers, onlookers, doctors, nurses, the military, the cleanup crew members themselves, that molasses had been tracked all over Boston. You just had like sticky molasses footprints everywhere. I mean, it was on subway platforms. It was in their homes and businesses and restaurants. It was on their train seats and streetcars and on payphones. Quote, Everything a Bostonian touched was sticky, end quote. That's gross. So Boston, even though you weren't in the direct line of the wave, you still got a little bit of sticky on your hands somewhere. Yeah, everybody was affected. Now the causes, the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, or USIA, they had purchased the Purity Distilling Company in 1917, two years before the disaster. They tried to claim that the tank was blown up by anarchists, citing that the alcohol produced was going to be used in making the munitions that we talked about earlier. So they thought, oh, it's crazy anarchists. They want to end the war. They're, they blew up our tank. Fucking hippies. But there were several factors that could have actually contributed to the rupture. So first, the tank was constructed half-ass. It had been tested, quote-unquote, insufficiently. So basically, this... This tank ain't gonna hold shit, was what they decided, but they let it go through. <laughs> yeah, they're like, the inspector's like, this, 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 gonna, this ain't gonna hold anything. And the guy was like, come on. And he was like, all right. Huh, okay. I didn't think you about You don't have to twist my arm. I didn't think about that. You make a good point. <laughs> the fermentation that was happening in the tank while the molasses was being held would have put off carbon dioxide, raising the pressure inside. Kind of like when you put a Mentos in a two liter of soda and then put the cap back on. That pressure can only be contained so long before it just pops. And everybody dies. <laughs> also, weather, weather records show that the day before the temp was 2 degrees Fahrenheit, which is negative 17 Celsius, and it rose to 41 Fahrenheit, or 5 degrees Celsius, by the day of the disaster. So that rise in temperature would have added to the pressure as the fermentation would have happened more rapidly in the warmer temps. And here we go. And here's your nerd lesson of the day. So, in a filled cylindrical tank, the hoop stress is greatest near the base. Now you're you're asking what hoop stress is, and I was wondering the exact same fucking thing. I actually had to look the shit up. I found out that it is definitely not the fatigue one feels while competing in a hula hoop contest. Because that was what my brain went to first. Man, now I'm kind of let down. Yeah, it's not that. So, no hula hooping involved in this story. Sorry, Man, guys. I'm going to bed. Fuck this. By definition, it is, quote, the force exerted circumferentially. Good. Hopefully I'm saying that right. That sounded great. Which is perpendicular to the axis <clears throat> and to the radius of the object 
in both directions on every particle in the cylinder wall, end quote. And there's actually a formula for this with symbols I don't even fucking know. I've never even seen this shit. And I took advanced placement physics and trigonometry and shit in high school. And I don't even know what these symbols are. Makes but they're think, there. Makes me think of a beautiful mind. And, and somebody figured some shit out. And they were really smart. A lot smarter than me. And I don't know what the fuck they are. Sorry guys. I let you down. But I gave you the definition. Yeah. Ooh. So. Regardless of all this bullshit I just said. There happened to be a manhole cover near said base where, you know, the hoop stress is the greatest. And it had a fatigue crack. So basically all that shit boiled down to there's a crack where all that stress is. So See, so the designers of the tank at the time were probably like, see, it would have fucking held. We don't have anything to do with the crack. Technically the tank held just fine. If that crack wasn't there, probably never would have blown. Well... That's what I'd say before I lost my job. Well, there was fermentation making the CO2. There's pressure building up. The temperature has risen, so the fermentation's working quicker, building more CO2. And most of all this pressure that's building up is at the base, where there's the hoop stress, and there's a crack in the manhole cover. And you can kind of see what happens next. It's just this clusterfuck and then fucking kaboom. Just rivets shooting out at bullet speed collapse and then a tidal wave of sticky sweetness i wonder if after that for years if they even saw a jar of molasses at a store they just threw it out <laughs> like they don't even want anything to fucking do with it anymore well they probably didn't have to go to any stores we'll, we'll get to that in a second so many authors have said that purity distilling company rushed the construction of the tank no trying to outrace prohibition which basically is Alcohol equals illegal in the U.S. So we had this thing called the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And it was actually ratified the very next day after this, January 16th of 1919. And it stated that it was okay to consume and possess alcohol, but it couldn't be produced, transported, or sold. So basically you got grandfathered in. If you had it on you, it was okay. You could drink it. But once it was gone, it was fucking gone. That was a very sad state of affairs in the U.S. that actually went into effect just one year after this tank ruptured. For all you foreign listeners, this is this is our sad moment where we need to hang our heads for prohibition. What were you guys thinking? They took away our alcohol. Stupid. I'm sorry. I thought this was America. <laughs> I thought we could do what we wanted. Oh, no, but you can't fucking drink. Well, you can if you have it. Just... Anyway. It kind of falls along the same lines of how it is today, like when you make moonshine and everything. Making making your own alcohol, if from what I understand, is perfectly legal. You just can't sell it. Yeah. You have to petition Congress to get your own distillery or your own brewery. So, like, say I make moonshine. I can make it and give it to people as a gift, but if, they, if they're like, oh, this is great, here's five bucks, give me another bottle, I technically cannot accept it. Because that's where Uncle Sam gets mad. Hmm. Yeah, if you want to hear more about our sad period of prohibition, you can go back and listen to our Valentine's Boners episode from last year where we covered the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Happened around the prohibition period. And for those of you who don't know, moonshine was called moonshine because it was made under the shine of the night sky. Of the moon. Of the moon. 
Makes sense. Out in the woods because it's secret. Secret. Secret booze. <laughs> well, an inquiry began and found that the man who oversaw the construction, his name is Arthur Jell. J-E-L-L. That's who you write your angry letters to. Perfect for molasses. All you need to do is add a dash and an O. J-E-L-L-O. There's always room for that. Because, I mean, it's basically fucking gelatin that just poured all over the streets. Well, he neglected basic safety tests. Tests as simple as just filling the tank with water to check for leaks before they actually used it. He was like... No, that's good. We don't need to do that. If he did, we'd be covering the great water flood of Boston. I mean, this is kind of a big deal. You want to test it to make sure it's not going to leak. <laughs> I would think that would be something you'd want to do. Yeah, he was just like, my cousin designed it, and he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's good. I trust him. I saw him at Thanksgiving. I trust Cooter with my life. <laughs> Cooter. So, so when the tank was first filled with molasses, what do you know? It fucking leaked. It leaked so much that people would come up with jars and containers and collect it to use in their homes. That's why they probably didn't have to go out and fucking buy it. They had it already stashed. It was karma. They got punished for stealing it. So they, they, the flood was unleashed. It was I, like, oh, you want molasses? Here's your fucking molasses. Yeah, they just went up and were like, hey, I'm going to collect some of this shit. But the company knew this. So what did they do to fix this problem? Well, they didn't really fix it. They just painted the fucking tank brown to hide where the fucking molasses was leaking. They won't see it. It'll still be there, but they won't see it. They're smart. Nobody will know. They're using their brains. They don't have fucking eyes they can see with when a liquid's dripping down the side of a container. Hey, man. Work smart, not hard. I don't care if it's the same fucking color. You can see the glisten. <laughs> yeah, that's what they did. You're really getting emotional over this. <laughs> well, that's like painting your kid's face green when they have a cold because they're oozing green snot. It's just, you don't... Fucking do that. I, but I hope nobody would be I collecting have, that. I wouldn't have thought to do that, but now I have an idea for when our kids yeah. get sick. You, you don't just go, oh, well, I'm not going to wipe it away or, you know, fix the problem, give him some cold medicine. I'm just going to fucking paint its face green. Nobody will know. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. <laughs> A study was done in 2016 <clears throat> by students at Harvard. High society. It was noted that warmer molasses had been added to the tank two days before the rupture, and this reduced the viscosity of the molasses, which basically means it made it thinner. So when the tank broke open, the molasses spilled out and spread quickly because it was thinner and runnier. So on top of, you know, the cold winter temps, you know, that warmed up the next day, and then you've got this warmer molasses in there, it just made everything easier to ooze out into the streets. But then once it actually hit the air, the colder winter temps, you know, the 40 degrees, they quickly cooled it. And so then it thickened. And that made it actually much harder to rescue the victims before they suffocated. So it came out thin and got cold and just like encapsulated them. It's a weird ass volcano. Yeah. Following the flood, 120 lawsuits were filed against USIA, the owners of Purity Distilling Company. Those were combined into a class action lawsuit represented by lawyer Damon Hall, while USIA hired an entire firm, Shote, Hall, and Stewart. And you actually come from a line of Shotes. I do. And most people see that name and they're like, how the fuck do you say that? <laughs> C-H-O-A-T-E. A lot of them in Tennessee. We're Tennessee folk. Ooh. As said before, 
the defense blamed anarchy. They had actually been the target of anarchists at some of their facilities in New York City during the war. They also noted that the greater Boston area had been victim to about 40 bombings by anarchists just the year before. And as you know, the Italian immigrant community was full of anarchists, so it just had to be them, right? Let's just blame it on the Italians. It's kind of fucked up they did that. Yeah. Not the Italians doing that, but them (laughs) blaming the Italians. This suit was only supposed to last six months, but with the testimony of over 3,000 witnesses and over 45,000 pages of testimony and arguments taken, it took almost six years. The defense spent over $50,000 on expert witnesses, but to no avail. They wasted their money. USIA ended up settling and paid out almost $1 million, which is over $7 million today. And laws and regulations ended up changing that involved licensed architects and civil engineers being required for oversight of construction projects. Now, the area in Boston is now a city-owned recreational complex called Langone Park. And there's a playground, there's bocce courts. Sweet. And a Little League baseball field. And a plaque commemorating the disaster can be found at the entrance to nearby Puopolo Park, if I'm saying that right. Puopolo. Puopolo. You know... And that plaque actually says 40 feet wave, 40 foot wave. You know, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember if I heard this or read this or something like that, but on a hot, 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 humid day in that area, you can still smell a little bit of molasses, even today. Oh, I heard you smell dead horse. What? They made a lot of points to point out that a lot of fucking horses died. Well, I mean, 1919, there were vehicles, but I'm sure not everybody had a vehicle. There were probably still a lot of horse and carriages. Sure. A lot of fucking horses died. (laughs) Can you imagine? The cleanup for the molasses is bad enough, but then you have to dispose of these goo-covered horses everywhere. Where do you even put them? I don't know. Throw them in the harbor, I guess. Ew. Floating horses. It'd be like that part of the video in the ring. You see the horse floating in the water. (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine being an immigrant showing up that day and you're like, turn around, turn around, I'll Uh, go back. Okay, come on, clip-clop, back the other way. Let's go. We're hightailing it out of Boston. Turn the boat around. (laughs) This is not not in the brochure. So, we are deeply sorry for all of you Bostonians for what you had to endure on that horrible day. When all that potential rub was lost. Just gone. Just just, a, just just in an instant. Fucking gone. It was there. And it was I, not there. I need a moment and a drink. <sighs> it was a lot of drink. Nom nom nom. Oh, I could kind of taste it. That's something. Yay. I haven't tasted anything in days. Yum. This is a good day. Alright guys, so... That wraps it up. I've been wanting to cover these two for a while. I had them on the list since basically since we started the podcast. And uh seemed like a good time for a little bit of a lighter, horrible mm-hmm. story, <laughs> if you can call it that. A little bit shorter than the last one because my voice is on borrowed time right now. So, of course, as we always say, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please, please, please. Get on iTunes, make a fucking iTunes profile if you have to, leave us a five-star rating and a review. We would greatly appreciate it. It helps, you know, bump the show up and 
possibly introduce it to a wider audience. We would love it if you could do that. If not on that, Stitcher or any podcast app that you use that you have the option to rate a review, tag us, you know, on Facebook or tweet at us, you know, something, throw our name out there. Let some people know that you like us. Maybe some other weirdos will like us too. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis in the Macabre, on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. We'd like to ask you to visit the website, martinisinthemacabre.com. Got a fully playable episode catalog, season one and two. Got a full music listing of all the songs by Phaser765 that we use at the end of the shows. There'll be a new one at the end of this one. He actually had put out some new music. I just got downloaded, so I have more to choose from now. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. You can read a little bio about him, see some of his artwork, listen to his music. You can contact us through the contact page or email us directly at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, concerns, critiques, topic suggestions, anything you want to throw at us. And we we did announce this on our um, Facebook page, but one of our best supporters, one of our listeners, Kate, has put out her own podcast. It's called Ignorance Was Bliss. It's, she, uh, yeah, it's a podcast about crime and psychology. Yeah. And, and she, she already has one episode, and she's going to be working on one for um, Valentine's Day. And she is, she's got a degree. She knows what she's talking about. First episode, the parallels between the two stories that she has. She has an interview and another story she's telling. I mean, the two and run. It was about uh, domestic, domestic abuse. Yeah. Very good episode. We would ask that you please listen to that and give it a try. Give her a rating and review on iTunes. Follow her Facebook page, Ignorance Was Bliss. The artwork is done by her daughter, Emily. She's a great artist. She's the one that sends Billy creepypastas. Yeah! (laughs) So, go listen to Kate's show. I really enjoyed the first episode, Kate. You're doing awesome. That was great. And I hope you got my review. And it was very sincere. I really mean it. Oh, if you saw my review, it's on Stitcher. I figured you would know it when you saw it because it's under um, Snuggle Bunny Jones <laughs> that, that left it. So, Of course, the great Billy Snuggle Bunny Jones. That's right. And uh, we are still working on the Patreon thing. I Since I've been laid up being sick uh, and I had to call in last week and then I had to make up hours for calling in and my dad's been in the hospital, my aunt's been in the hospital. It's just been nuts. So I know I haven't been around much guys and i apologize i've just been so fucking sick (laughs) and it's not flu or anything it's just this horrible case of laryngitis i haven't had a voice and i've just felt like crap my throat's been on fire and i'm sorry that's why we're recording this on sunday night i have one day to edit this and get it out because i go back to work tuesday (laughs) so i'm sacrificing time i could be saving my voice for you guys because we love you guys we appreciate you listening so so much we appreciate the interactions on facebook and twitter and instagram follow us interact with us share weird shit we're down for anything we love you guys and we hope you keep listening stay safe we'll see you in two weeks bye-bye bye-bye
So I watched a classic movie the other day. Was it a documentary? No, no, it wasn't. It huh. was uh, wow. It was Forrest Gump, and I forgot how good it was, and I forgot how great the ending of that movie was. I remember being a kid, going, "God, it's so sad," you know. And he just, it's just him and his kid. I think I'm gonna tear up and all that. And now, as a grown man, I'm watching it, and it is the funniest <laughs> fucking ending I've ever seen. <laughs> fucking Jenny. <laughs> Jenny treated him like garbage. Oh, she was an ass. The entire movie, and she got AIDS and died, and he buried her under a tree like the family fucking pet. (laughs) Oh my god, you couldn't write a better ending to a fucking movie. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.